This is Coda Radio, episode 377, for August 31st, 2020. Hello, friends, and welcome to Coda Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and the world of technology. This episode is brought to you by a cloud guru. So many career possibilities in the cloud and so little time. ACG's Learning Paths help you take the right courses to prepare for architect, developer, security, and many other high-paying cloud jobs. Get hired, get certified, and get learning with Path Tailored just for you. A cloudguru.com. And joining me this week, as always, is our host, the delightful and wonderful Mr. Michael Dominic. Hello, Mike. Hello, Chris. Hello. Hello. It's fun to be doing this live again. It's got a whole energy to it. It's beautiful. Yeah. Also, if I make a mistake, everybody, you know. Yes. And you, you can record falsettos again. So I'm sure you're happy. <laughs> yes, I am quite happy. <laughs> and there we go. Well, we have. So much to get into. I want to say thank you, though, to our audience that is live watching right now because we didn't we didn't really know when we'd be back when we recorded the last one. So we just kind of tossed it out there later on and enough people uh, showed up. They made it worth it. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, we have about 200 ish, 240 ish people watching right now. Hello to all of you out there on the live streams and in the chat room. It's good to be here. And if you're wondering what the heck is going on, yeah, it's back. Your podcatcher isn't lying to you. The show is truly back. A Cloud Guru and Jupiter Broadcasting have made the mutual decision to separate and restore Jupiter Broadcasting independent media status. The demerger will allow for Jupiter Broadcasting and the Cloud Guru to dedicate their resources to specializing content that they do best, Jupiter Broadcasting and creating Linux and open source podcast content catered to enthusiasts and industry professionals, and a Cloud Guru in creating comprehensive and hands-on multi-cloud computing, Linux and DevOps training for businesses and individuals. A Cloud Guru and Jupiter Broadcasting share many commonalities, such as the passion we have and respect for each other's missions, and the investment we've made in creating accessible, accurate, and engaging content that makes a difference to the audience. We also share a belief in the importance of giving back to the open source community. As such, a Cloud Guru will continue its support of Jupiter Broadcasting with a sponsorship arrangement, and will continue to explore other content collaboration opportunities in the future. So there's a lot to talk about today, including tons of going on in the news, Jupiter Broadcasting's big news. So, Mike, I thought something we should start with, because we're still kind of getting the wheels back on the cart here, is the announcement that Coder Radio is launching a membership program. And this one's really by the seat of our pants, I have to be honest with you, because you know some planning just hasn't been able to take place because of the state of the agreements that were in place and all of that work being done. So Mike and I started talking about it this morning just a little bit before we started the show. And one of the things that we want to do is we want to kind of give you a peace of mind that this show is not going away again. Because I know that it can kind of make you a little um, apprehensive if the show went away once, it could happen again. And as somebody who is now launching his independent business again, I'm thinking about it very much from, a well, how do we make it a sustainable production so that way we don't have that issue again? And one of the things that will become more apparent is one of the ways I'll be achieving that is by taking on sponsors. But one of the other ways I'm doing that is for a limited set of our shows 
we're launching membership programs. And we don't really have some grand offering here. We'll have an ad-free feed that has no ads with the exception of ones that are contractually obligated. And on top of that, we're going to do something kind of fun for our members that we're going to call the Coderly Report, Mike. Did I, is it the Coderly Report? Is that what we decided to call it? That's going to be a fun name. Coderly. Coderly, like quarterly. Yes. Huh. Coderly. Maybe that's the way to do it. Yeah. And this will be a quarterly members show that sort of review of the trends and things that we thought mattered over the last quarter. We'll sort of just, uh, you know, we'll just, Mike and I will know because when it's the end of the business quarter, it's time to do a quarterly. <laughs> oh, God. That's going to be embarrassing every time. <laughs> well, this is going to be bad. Every time we mispronounce it, fumbling every episode. The quarter, the kuda, the kuda, kuda, it's kuda, it's an NVIDIA thing we're doing, right? So we're going to make this all uh, available to our members, even if I can't say it right. And there's a there's a URL you can go to, coderqa.co, coderqa.co, where we'll have a link in the show notes. And that membership essentially is our hope, our goal with it, is not to make a bunch of money. It's not to be rich with the show. It's not even to make the revenue of a single sponsor. It is our hope to get enough of you, and it will take several hundred of you, but it's enough to, to hopefully get enough that we can make sure an editor can be paid to edit and produce the show, that the fee to host the show can be paid, that Mike and I get something, even if it's just beer money, for doing the show. So that way the show doesn't run at a loss, uh, say like this week, when we have a short ACG sponsor, which you just heard a bit ago, and that's it. No other sponsors. This is the sponsor, essentially the audience. And so we want to make it a production that is sustainable. And I know this isn't the perfect time to be asking this, but that is actually the very reason I am asking, because the podcast advertising market is going through a massive reduction, a long time coming one, in my opinion, as somebody who's been podcasting for 15 years. I, I think you, we have seen a bubble recently where every single company in the world has a podcast, every individual has a podcast, tons of sponsorships. And with the COVID economy, that is falling through the floor right now. And I want to make sure that we have something sustainable here. When we bring sponsors on, those are there because I know some of you either are not interested in a membership or would just prefer to support the show by engaging with our sponsors, which is a 100% perfectly fine way to support the show. If a membership is not for you, I pledge to do my best to do good ad reads that are sponsors that we believe in, so you're not really losing out anything. If you prefer a show that is ad-free, that helps support the production and keeps the show going, we'll have an option for you. And that'll be at coderqa.co. So you can become part of the Coder Radio QA team. And that's what we're calling our members as our QA team. I think what we'll do is we'll set the price at $8 a month, but I'll do the same thing that I did for Unplugged is I'll do a founder's discount. So it'll be promo code founder again. And this time... Instead of giving out a hundred because they went they went really quick. Wait, founder, no Jar Jar. J R J R. Yeah. All right. Okay. Yeah. No. That. All right. You got to keep it on brand, right? Right. So all lowercase, all lowercase, J A R J A R, and that'll drop the membership to six dollars a month indefinitely. And I will make two hundred of those available because they went so quick last time. Uh, so two hundred of the Jar Jar promo codes to make it six dollars a month. If you can't support us, just. Spread the word about the show. Maybe leave a review from time to time if you appreciate it or engage with one of our sponsors. And we are absolutely grateful. We are grateful to have you listen and we are grateful to have you do that. 
If you are in a position where you can support us and you'd kind of like to invest to make sure that the show continues to go. I mean, you know, Mike and I, as long as we can make this work, we're going to do it. Because this show had been running since 2013, like a clock. And so what we want to do now is just do that again. We just want to repeat that again, but we want to do it in a climate that makes it sustainable. So that is at coderqa.co. Every time you type in Jar Jar, we so appreciate it. <laughs> you did a, You did just lie to them. We were running since 2012. You are lying. Really? I muted and I went on to the, uh, the old Reddit. Episode one, June 11th, 2012 is when we made the announcement. Okay. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I think I've, I think I've said 2013 before as well. Yep. Well, now I know. I'm glad you caught me. There you go. All right, well, let's get to feedback. We're going to do that towards the top of the show for a bit here. So, coderadio.show slash contact if you want to send us your feedback, or you can hit up either one of us on Twitter. And we got a lot of positive feedback regarding the relaunch of the show. Surprise, surprise. We kind of were hoping that would happen, I'd say. But every time it came in, it's still really great to see it because you're like, okay, good. It was the right choice. <laughs> yes. This isn't an embarrassing retraction coming up. Right. Good, good, good. <laughs> yeah, we're definitely not in that territory, I'd say. We're, we're very safe and, and far from that territory. What was the general sense you got that people want to see in the show? A lot, actually. Um, so I mistakenly threw this on Twitter, thinking only a few people would reply. I was wrong. There was a lot. Now, some of it's kind of like contradictory, like, you know, make it serious, make it funny, have more guests, don't have guests, right? Um, a surprising amount of people are interested in like DevOpsy stuff. Another one that really threw me for a loop was a lot of people asked about the Mac OS ARM transition, which I was genuinely shocked with, considered the, you know, amount of trolling I used to get, which makes me think that I corrupt a bunch of you to Mac. Is that, is that what happens? <laughs> so, I mean, I will probably pick up an ARM Mac at some point because, like, I have to support software that I wrote. The other thing was um, specific requests for Wes, which, of course, right, and for Wes to torture me with languages of the week. Yeah. So, might have to change that to month. That was rough last time. but People like that, you know, they like that. And I could, I could see, I also would be down for a challenge from time to time as well. Ooh, party time. I mean, mine probably can't be as grand, but uh, maybe that'd be interesting. Just got to print Hello Jar Jar. <laughs> I think I could manage that. <laughs> of course, it depends on what you make me print it in, I suppose, or with. Objective Rust. <laughs> I wondered if you saw that story. Oh. Four people sent it to me on Twitter and two people emailed me on Hey. We probably dropped it in some chat thread somewhere, too, I would imagine. Yeah, I, th I think actually West did. Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> so, yeah, Objective Rust. It is exactly what it sounds like on the tin. You can interface Rust and Objective-C. What sort of sick masochist would have seen this and decided to try it? I don't know. <laughs> I hope someone in our audience, and I hope they ride in with, like, a, a breathless justification. Even I'm like, you know, this is probably not what you needed. Yeah. Because you take the super wild language of Objective-C and then marry it to the super strict, super safe Rust, and you get cognitive dissonance? I don't know. Sadness? It's, but it's fun. It's a good idea if um, I guess you have tons of Objective-C code and you want to now start coding in Rust. Yeah. Yeah, I'd love to hear somebody do that. <laughs> I don't think there's, I think there's one individual and it's the creator. <laughs> maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> I mean, everybody does love Rust right now, so maybe I am wrong. It could be. I think I saw a lot of people that said, um, you know, they were just happy it's back. It is interesting. I mean, you must have saw this too. It's like 
people that somebody will say, uh, I'd like to hear you more. I'd like to hear more about your work setup. Like somebody specifically asked me about like our desk setups. And then somebody else wrote in and said, you know, don't talk so much about the desk or don't talk actually what they're, well, I think what they say is don't talk so much about the work stuff or something, right? No or, laptops of the week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah that's what it was. Yeah. Yeah. Got a couple of those. <laughs> yeah, that's what it was. And it's, so you kind of see different, I, and I kind of thought when I saw the desk setup, when I was like, actually, that would be kind of fun because I just got a new desk. Because, you know, I'm thinking more about the ergonomics these days. So maybe in the future, maybe we'll talk about that. I was surprised by ARM transition stuff. And I think maybe it's because people are looking at it just from a development workstation standpoint and wondering what's it going to be like to develop for an x86 server running in the cloud on an ARM laptop. Yeah, I mean, although you have to remember, we used to get a lot of like iOS dev questions too, right? I, I think there's like a very quiet, very afraid group of uh, iOS developers in the JV community. Yeah, and they're huddled with the .NET guys, kind of, you know, worried about uh, cannibalistic penguins. You know, it's just it wasn't that long ago that what OS you ran was super contentious. It just seems like we got really tribalistic with our tools, and then I don't know if it's just 2020 in general, but I feel like this was happening really since even back you know when I was on the show is something started to change and all these different OSs just start, just sort of looked like different types of tools to me. Uh, you know, like one's Snap-on and one's some cheap tool from, you know, Harbor Freight and another one's some super nice brand tool that does something special but costs a ton of money. And when I started seeing them like that, I think that everything sort of dialed down. And I think it wasn't just you or I that had that. I think a lot of people in the community began that kind of reframing of the way they saw this stuff. And maybe it was in part the changes at Microsoft, maybe it's in part Apple's focus on mobile. So I'm going to give some credit to VS Code here, right? VS Code, no matter what OS you're running on, and I know people are going to write and say, well, there are subtle differences. Yeah, but they're, they're really subtle, right? A lot of developers, regardless of Mac, Windows, PC, whatever, Linux, right? If you're in VS Code, you're kind of in VS Code. You're using the same plugins, using the same tools. Your config files are exactly the same, right? Your build files. Yep. I don't want to swing the standard hammer and ring the bell here, but it's made it so if you're on VS Code and I'm on VS Code and I'm on Linux and you're on Mac or whatever, we kind of have the same tool chain now. Yes. I very much had this realization months ago when I was using VS Code, which I've used a lot, but I started using it exclusively when I was working on Docker Compose files and config files because it's just the... The way it displays YAML is makes it so so simple for someone like myself who has to edit a YAML file once a quarter, and so I don't spend a lot of time with YAML. And you know, it's very it's very specific in its formatting, and the way Visual Studio Code's YAML plugin renders that just works with my brain. And I had this realization as I'm sitting there on my Linux box, SSH'd into a server that I'm running Docker on, and I'm editing the compose file. In VS Code, which in the background is doing an SSH connection to my server and editing this test file on my server in real time as I hit save in the editor. And I, I realized at that moment, like, this is 100% parity with anything I could do on a commercial platform. And I was on the Linux desktop. For reasons that are just like maintenance work, I had to boot into the spare Mac I have lying around. And it was just easier instead of setting up a new PyCharm toolchain to test this thing in Safari to simply just be like, you know, I'm going to pop open code and run the Flask, uh, you know, extension, whatever. And I was up and running from, hadn't turned on this machine in three months, to I found this really, really, really lame bug in Safari. 
and was able to document it, throw it into Trello, which is what we're using for bug tracking these days, and like move on and get back to my lemur and fix it, right? Trello for bug tracking, huh? It's not ideal. Huh. We can have a whole torturous story about our QA process, but... I would be interested in some tools discussion because, yeah, I'm trying to stand up all that stuff right now. But yeah, that does seem maybe like another episode. It's a separate show. Anyways, if you want to give us your feedback, coder.show slash contact, get it in there. So there was some news over on the GitHub land, not necessarily on the features of GitHub, but on what runs GitHub. If you've been following Ruby, maybe you uh, dabble in it yourself like Mike. (laughs) then you may be aware that the upgrade to 2.7 has been a little thorny. It's been the topic of conversation in the GitHub community as well as the Ruby community because it's been something that GitHub is working on to revamp their underlying platform. Now, Ruby 2.7 came out in December, and it looks like GitHub completed the migration to 2.7 in July. If you're not familiar with their stack, they're running on Ruby since the very beginning. It was Ruby and Rails, but hasn't been that for a while. Ruby 2.7 is a unique upgrade because the core team has deprecated how keyword arguments behave. So with this release, future versions of Ruby will no longer accept passing an options hash when a method expects a keyword argument. So at GitHub, that was a big problem. And they had over 100, no, 11,000 warnings that they had. It was 11,000 warnings that they had to fix. And they are big, they say. They write us, we'll have a link in their blog, but they're big. They make the case in here. They're big on sticking to current Ruby as much as possible, to stable Ruby as much as possible. And they they make quite the argument for doing so as well. Yeah, so there's a kind of a lot here. And I don't don't know that it's worth it because I'm sure at some point we discussed this in the past. The whole GitHub's like originally it was like a Rails app way back in the day. And it has evolved for various reasons. And it's still kind of some Rails in there somewhere. But it's... I don't know, they, they, they've done a lot, right? And, and, and make, you know, if you're GitHub, your needs and your scale are are just crazy. Yeah, I, I mean, pulling off a project like this must just be monstrous. Yeah, so there's, there's kind of two big things operating here, though. One, I had a similar painful experience with a, granted, much smaller application, because not GitHub. 2.7 is quite the lift, and if you're the kind of person who treats warnings as errors, you're going to be sad, really sad. But... That led me, and again, thanks to Wes for sharing this, this uh, post from Matt's, the creator of Ruby on, not Ruby on Rails, of Ruby, right? DHA's created Rails, Matt's created the language. On how to, you know, maintaining a programming language over time and updating it. You know, the desire to keep it current with whatever the new hotness is in the general software development community, while keeping, you know, stability and compatibility for, you know, old curmudgeons like me who don't want to have all their stuff broken, right? Right. The reason I put this stuff in the notes for this week is uh, Ruby 3 is going to be coming out. And there's a lot there. For one, Ruby 3 is going to add basically a form of static typing, which, if you know anything about Ruby, is uh, quite the change. It's going to focus a lot on a form of concurrency. They're, they're not doing the whole async thing that many other languages have done. So, and we're not, I don't feel like diving into that too much. But there's a lot of change coming to the Ruby world, and we're early days on this. Um, actually, like Square is the one who has the proposal for the new static typing, and Stripe is the company, who, ironically, their direct competitor, who makes a static analysis tool called Sorbet. 
which all of this is hilarious to me because you have this dynamically typed language. And what is one of the most popular uh, tools to use with it? A static analyzer. <laughs> and what are they adding in the 3.0? Static typing <laughs> or a form of static type, optional static typing mostly. But Because we've seen this, right? Python 3 added like optional types or like suggested types, whatever they call it. You know, I'm struggling with this question, Chris. Is this a factor of these dynamic languages becoming used for huge projects and at some point you actually do need some sort of typing or is it thor being angry that i'm besmirching his beloved ruby i tell you so here's another question to ask here's another way to phrase the question would they make this change if they thought it would turn off future developers i'd argue no i'd say if they're sitting around going we think this long term will appeal to future ruby developers Isn't that always the way these projects end up going is they're always trying to grab the next the next wave of developers and trying to make it appealing. And I think there's also a competitive nature to this, trying to prevent bleeding to other languages. So I'm going to put on my old man hat. I, I think it like a dirty thing that is true, but only to a point and is very obnoxious to say is that at some point static typing or something close to it actually does help when you hit a certain amount of complexity in your code. And it's like significantly helpful, Right. But if you just want to get started with something quickly, you maybe, you know, want to be a little looser, a little more dynamic. I know that's kind of a spicy hot take that's going to get a lot of uh, crap thrown at it. But if it weren't true, then like, why does every large Rails project or otherwise large Ruby project or many large Python projects for that matter, always end up, I mean, Python built into the language already, but always end up using some sort of static analysis tool to like basically or, or like write unit tests that they're basically doing type checking that a compiler would have done for you i'm not saying all unit tests are like that so don't you know i'm not anti-test i'm just saying that it seems like you hit a certain scale and then you end up recreating the functionality that a static compiler would have given you or a static type checker rather would have given you yeah i think you're right and i also think you're anti-test no i'm just kidding <laughs> it, listen, that is not a label i want in 2020 all right <laughs> I know, right? I want to get your take on this. So before we get to their final take, this I just thought was a neat little um, trick that they pulled off to make this upgrade possible while they have uh, a whole team going. Uh, they said, just like we did with our Rails upgrade, we set up our application to be dual bootable in both Ruby 2.6 and Ruby 2.7 by using environment variables. This made it easy for us to make backwards compatible changes and merge those to the main branch and avoid maintaining a long-running branch for our upgrade. It also, of course, made it easier for the other engineering teams who needed to make changes on the system while they were working on the new version and all of that. And this is the system that they follow. And they talk a little bit about this process. And it seems to me, Mike, is they've kind of come up with a process to address the rapid development nature of Ruby. And it's kind of clever. No, it's super clever. I mean, I don't know how viable that is for, you know, smaller teams. Right. <laughs> it seems like an awful lot of engineering effort to me, but it's, uh, yeah, I mean, that's the kind of thing when you're GitHub that you end up doing, right? It's it's um, something you can do. It's something you have the luxury to do. Right. You have the resources and, and it, you know, this is maybe not featured enough, but GitHub traditionally has been a major player in the Ruby community. So it's kind of... You know, I don't know where they're going these days, but they're certainly in in the conversation, right? Yeah. 
Um, okay, this is what I wanted to get your take on. So they write on the blog, falling behind on Ruby upgrades has the drastic negative effects on stability of your code base. Upgrading Ruby supports your application health, improves performance, fixes language and framework bugs, and guides the future of the language. So they really kind of make a hard sell for staying really current with Ruby. Yeah, the Ruby ecosystem is super unforgiving for people who just want to pin to an old version and stay back. I think they're trying to be the model Ruby citizen in a way right here. Yeah, I think so, right? I mean, great old example from a couple of years ago. Was it Heartbleed, the one that screwed up the OpenSSL libraries, or was that Spectre? I always get them. Oh, no, Heartbleed, yeah. Heartbleed. You know, let's just take your standard Ruby project. Let's just say you have a Rails app, right? You have you, you have Bundler, you're installing gems, you have a gem file, you're happy. You pinned your versions, you pinned your gems, you're chilling for like two years, everything's great. Uh-oh, the open SSL version's bad, and like you're you have to, you know, as a security requirement, change the SSL library that you're you're using, right? Uh-oh, the open SSL gem no longer can't the old gem cannot work with the new open SSL library. Now you have to update that SSL gem. But your other gems for things like, I don't know, bootstrap or whatever other, you know. Literally, gems are the Ruby equivalent of packages, right? That's what they are. So rely on the old OpenSSL gem. Now you have to update almost your entire application, and you have to do it in basically an emergency situation, where if you had been doing incremental updates, you would have avoided that problem. And I know this isn't unique to Ruby or Rails, but this is the kind of thing that, in general, gem authors tend to be pretty aggressive on deprecating old versions of their gem. So, yeah, I mean, I I made this mistake once. It was bad. It was a rough week and a half of work. And now I do quarterly updates or I'm sorry, coderly updates. Hey, you're way better at it than I am. <laughs> it, it's the it's the New Jersey accent. We're, we're used to mumbling our way through R's and L's. <laughs> yeah. So I do coderly updates on Rails projects, well, assuming people actually have maintenance contracts. Well, very good. You know, this would be normally the spot we'd have an ad break right here. You know, like this would be the spot, but we don't have an ad. So I can plug something. Are you? Yeah. Yeah. Plug something. I had uh, Jay LaCroix of LearnLinux.tv on the Mike Dominic show. Go check it out. Nice. URL for that. That's a good point. Um, Automator.show. I forgot the URL. <laughs> I'm not good at that. That's why I don't do the ad reads people. Because I'd be like, go buy a Linux server from, eh, he'll find it. <laughs> just do a Google. Are you in the storm area at all down there? Are you any of that hitting you? I'm in Florida. If you know, one day we're going to be doing the show and Florida is just going to sink. I know. Hopefully it'll be while we're live just for historical purposes. Not for you, but I mean. Well, you had that with Sandy. Yeah. Back in New Jersey. Yeah. 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 That was good. Well, almost seeming like it was um, Epic and Apple doing Coda Radio Solid. What we have foretold. And specifically you and what I have warned with Apple's ever-increasing appetite for services, what we have talked about on this show seems to have become the number one tech news story right now. And that is Apple versus Epic, which is just continuing to develop. And you know what, Mike? Do you know there's a bit of an irony with this? Uh, at least in my opinion, this last couple of weeks, like last week, was the 25th anniversary of Windows 95. <laughs> That's perfect. Isn't it? Because you can point at Windows 95 as kind of the time when Microsoft started to really have the tech community resent them. And that resentment really started to build with Win 98 and then when they bundled IE and then it really developed all the way to an antitrust that the government was actually successfully prosecuted. 
And then there were people that were monitoring Microsoft for years, and it changed the game in a lot of ways. And I think Windows 95, you could really kind of mark as the beginning of the general tech community's awareness of this. It was 25 years ago. Now, here we are, and it's happening to Apple all over again. People have known for a while, but it's been kind of in the tighter tech circles, the more tech literate. But now this is busting out into the general audience, just people who buy Apple products and people who play video games. And I don't know if this is too bold of a statement, but this feels like this is the worst pushback. This is the broadest recognition of this problem we've ever seen. Oh, for sure. I mean, yeah, it's one thing for two guys to be, you know, kvetching on a podcast but when <laughs> when epic is suing you in every jurisdiction they can find spotify is going after you in europe oh and you're getting summoned to congress which by the way could we just stop tim cook claimed in front of congress that they treat all developers the same and charge the 30 percent the same when they've admitted they don't yeah that seems bad yeah i i don't get that and i maybe apple's justification for that is they classify the businesses they've cut custom deals with as something different but yeah, they've clearly made deals in the past with Amazon. I think Netflix they made a pretty public deal with um, and others. Microsoft for for Office, they they did one for Adobe. Right. There, there must be some lawyerly way that he's safe. So there is some nuance to this. What Epic essentially wants here is their own currency and their own app store inside the Fortnite video game. And that may be where it's far above and beyond what anything that Amazon or Netflix or Microsoft have asked for. They released an update that tried to bundle some of this into the app. It was sort of the beginning of this process, and Apple rejected it. This has de-esc- or this has escalated, I should say. Yeah, there's no de-escalation happening. Yeah, no, it's continued to escalate. In fact, at this point, pretty badly, I'd say. And now Apple really looks to me like a bully. Um, so Epic was ready when Apple started to uh, say no and reject the app. Epic went all in with a sort of killer-timed, 1984-esque inspired ad that was well-executed. Incredible. They had a lawsuit ready to go. They had talking points ready to go, and they continued to push it. It has so far not seen any resolution, and to this point now, Apple has confirmed that they have pulled the authorization, I believe, for Epic's developer account. When you become a developer, you have to pay a $99 a year subscription, and there's also keys that have to be signed. All of that's been deactivated. So, so there's some nuance with that, though. All right. Um, Epic, like many big corporations, is not, in fact, one company. Right. Which I did not know. Yeah, sure. Um, so there is a developer account for, like, Fortnite, and I guess they made some game called Affinity Blade that I know nothing about, but sure. That is the account that got deactivated. Apple wanted to deactivate the one for the unreal engine which would have screwed about 50 percent of the indie game developers yeah because they there they would have just that would have been devastating for those who don't know unreal is if you've heard of unity unreal is the pepsi to their coke right or the coke to their pepsi whatever uh, is that fair though oh the market share uh yeah but i mean unreal is a hell of an engine with a very interesting that's true for unreal you it's more of a high-end engine you have to yeah. yeah 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 with an interesting monetization strategy on that one but anyways all of this is just in service for of the conversation we'll have details linked in the show notes um and i think a lot of people when they talk about this they talk about it in the cut like 30 out 30 percent cut from apple they talk about it in those terms they talk about the subscription prices here i think if you zoom out, though, this is really about 
If you buy a $1,000 device, should you be the one that ultimately decides what gets installed on it? In my opinion, that's the, the bigger conversation here. It's telling to me that that is not an argument that anybody who matters in this conversation, i.e. Apple or Epic, are making. Right? Apple's taking a paternalistic view of we are protecting the user. Epic's saying Apple is like you know limiting us. No one's saying, well, what about the user? Except for you. That's good. Well, and why is no one really bringing up Google in this? Because they were also removed from the Play Store. I believe there's also a lawsuit with Google and Epic, but we're, no one's discussing that. Well, there's, there's two obvious reasons, right? One, Epic did not make an amazing parody commercial for Google. Yeah, okay. And Google does not claim to be like the underdog who's treating developers fairly. In fact, oh, also Google didn't go nuclear on them, right? Like True. Apple did not like even blink on this. They didn't like say, take a breath, Tim Sweeney, calm, sit down. Let's talk about it. Apple just went, no, you're, you're not doing this. You know, man, they, recently they've really kind of been over the top. It really seems like this year they cranked it up. Did you hear that they also were screwing around WordPress trying to get a cut of the... I saw that, yeah. Yeah, um, and that's just one of many recently that they've done this to. If you listen to or read Ben Thompson's daily update, he apparently according to him, heard from many, many, many Apple developers who have had this happen to them, but they are afraid about breaking non-disclosures if they... Retaliation. Yeah, yes, exactly. So retaliation would be a concern, so they're just not saying anything, and instead they're trying to figure out how to make a way to, to give Apple their cut. And Apple seems to be of the opinion that they deserve it. When you read their internal emails that get leaked, they talk about developers essentially as freeloaders, that should be grateful. I would say the word is sharecroppers. Yeah. Uh, when in reality, it's the app store that brings nearly all the value to the iPhone, nearly all of it. And so Apple should be doing everything in their power to make developers happy. <laughs> I mean, there's two sim- simple solutions here as far as I see it. Number one, allow separate pay systems. You know, the developer chooses. And number two, allow for side loading. And I'm not saying that's a good solution, But it just seems like if Apple does those two things, they can do anything they want with the subscriptions that they run. They can do anything they want with the App Store. I I almost don't think, I mean, I would like them to do sideloading, but I don't even know that this, I don't even know that that's necessary, right? So there's, I, I think a mistake is that a lot of people are focusing on the 30%. Yeah. Which is onerous, sure, but it's, you know, it is what it, it is what it is, right? It's their storefront. Right. But the, the, the restrictions on what you can do. See, and I tweeted about this. It's like, for, like you, we were doing a show. What was it last year or a year and a half ago? Where Lana Del Rey, I was very happy about this. Lana Del Rey was the singer at some iPad event. They released the iPad Pro. I was, I bought one that day. Right, I was like all in. Then I went to research doing an app using the Thunderbolt port on the uh, on the iPad, or I'm sorry, the USB port on the iPad, and it was completely technically possible to do what I wanted to do, Chris. Like it, a lot of work, but possible. Can't do it because Apple doesn't want you to. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's like, whoa, 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 hang on. If I want to sell somebody an app, which granted in today's business model, you would never like outright sell them an app. But, you know, if I want to license somebody an app and they want to buy it, why are you getting in? Like, obviously, protect for malware, do your thing. But why are you standing between us telling me, yes, we have this technical functionality, but only we can use it? That seems kind of bad. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not saying I agree with this statement, but I think Apple sees their devices more like consoles than they see them as portable computers. Clearly wrong. 
that's not true. The iPad Pro is like one of the best laptops on the market, which I know is a hot take, but well, no, I actually, um, I tell you what, I went on a, I went on a, tech, a Texas trip and uh, I took two devices with me: the Pinebook Pro and the iPad Pro with the keyboard. You know, the overpriced, expensive but super great keyboard. Uh-huh. The Pinebook just couldn't really keep up much beyond a single application at a time. And it came to the point where when it was time for me to go into an office and do a little bit of work, I was taking the iPad with me. And then when you combine that, and this would be true for any device like this in this category, when you combine that with a good keyboard and an LTE connection, the ability to just sit down and say like a new office space where, you know, nobody's given you the Wi-Fi information yet and you just need to get some stuff done and just have a connection and have everything work and have that performance be absolutely 100% consistent it does make it a really great portable laptop. It, it is not a tablet anymore, but I still think the way they see the distribution model and the security model is much more in the in the console frame of mind than it is in the portable computer frame of mind. And I think that's one of the clear divisions as they see it between the Mac and the iOS platform. I mean, I use my iPad very much in the way you described. Well, I should say used back when I could leave the house, but anyway. <laughs> so, all right, let me, let, let's, let's forget about like what people believe in ideals here. Let's just get down to brass tacks. If you're Apple and you have three weeks in a row of John Syracuse, Marco Arment, and Casey Liss, and I feel like that first one really scares you a little bit, just like beating on you for being a bully and being greedy and like doing all these bad things, because like they're not just hurting big developers, right? They're In fact, they're usually nicer to big developers. Don't you just wake up and say our dedicated fans are literally John Syracuse is writing Mac OS reviews or OS X when it was called that for what a decade? Or more, definitely more. And they're beating up on you. Doesn't that kind of, I don't know, doesn't that hit some chord or is, or is it just too much money? We can't, you can't overcome the money. Uh, I, you know, this is, so this goes back to sort of my grave prediction when I was on the show and I kind of came on here and I said, I have a warning and I think this is going to make Apple a less appealing platform for developers and i said their drive for services is going to change the company in so many ways and this is one of those ways when you have revenue stagnating or i guess the other way to put this is growth stagnating in a lot of your key categories like iphone iphone you need to show that you're really hustling on those services that's what all this apple tv plus stuff is that's what all these huge announcements with celebrities like Steve Carell, who did Space Force. Now he's doing uh, the morning show. Um, You know, like these big names that are just, you know, famous out there. They're doing that because they're trying to show the market. In part, they want want successful content, obviously, and they want to recoup an investment. It's also a signal. It's a signal to Wall Street. It's a signal to that stock price that we are investing in the long term in a big way in services. And they are determined on those quarterly reports to show that services revenue increasing because – This is a narrative that we've seen play out with every major tech company. Wall Street wants to see growth somewhere. And if you can show growth in a category, even if it's only a small fraction of your business, if you can show growth in that category, then you show Wall Street there's something worth investing. The news continues to be positive. People continue to buy your stock. Your stock price goes up. You have now fulfilled your duty as the CEO and the people that are in the administrative level of Apple. And the board's happy. It's a really complex dynamic situation that is forcing this. And I think also Apple has two underlying factors about them that, I co- that come from that jobs DNA. Number one is, and I'm going to come back to this, they don't run to the press 
and chew someone out. And they don't go, you know, this guy's a real jerk. Uh, you, you, you know, you're not getting the full story. They don't do that. They generally allow for the passage of time and the court documents to come out. And then several months later, you realize, oh, Tim Sweeney came along. He made this ridiculous request to Apple. They were completely dicks about it. And now that's why Apple's responding this way. Like that kind of stuff generally comes out with time. But right now it looks really bad because only one primary side has spoken on this issue. So you have that. Number two is I think Apple is really just internally jerks about this kind of stuff. They think they are the God's gift to developers and end users, and you should be grateful for being on their blessed platform. And how dare you just hang out in their store with free rent and not cut them in on the deal. If you came in our store and you're selling those baskets, we want a cut of those baskets. We deserve a cut of those baskets because it's our storefront that got the customers buying those baskets in the first place. And that's how they see it. I mean, there's so much there. One, the Tim Sweeney emails did already come out. And if you haven't read them, Chris, oh, my God, they're great. Oh, really? I know. I, I have not seen those. He and I share a few character flaws. <laughs> oh, my God. I, he's like, you sent this to Tim Cook? Hey, what did you think he was going to say? Oh, you're right. I'm evil. I'm so sorry. Let me stop. What? Yeah. He just ignored you and said no. Yeah. Like, so your basket analogy is interesting because they're not just saying we want to cut your basket. They're saying, oh, and we're going to pick which baskets we have. Which they're, they're operating like a retail store, but they're in fact not a retail store, right? Right. They're saying you can have these baskets of these types and we get this much money from those baskets. From these like basket weavers, I guess. I don't know. Okay. Um, but we went maybe too far with the baskets. But like, why? At some point, and I granted this will take like five years, but doesn't the just undercurrent of frustration among developers, like... I, I can't stress this enough. It's Marco Armit and John Syracuse who are now criticizing them. That's, you know, that's like the Pope losing the nuns. Yes, I agree. But for the people that don't attend the church, sort of business as usual. This is, I think because it's Fortnite, a different case. It is, it's a wider known issue and it's bringing it to more general public awareness. But otherwise, you really just have some priests who have been taking this stance for a few months and the people that attend the church are aware of the issue. But outside of that, I, I think it's, I think it falls mostly on uninformed ears. You're probably right then. So you think that the average person who buys an iPhone or an iPad doesn't understand that they are fundamentally not getting the best applications, the best experience they could. Correct. And although, or maybe put a different way, they just fundamentally value different things. They fundamentally value Apple doing this police work at the front doors to make sure that apps are safe. Mm, true. There is something to that because I don't really hesitate installing anything on my iPhone. You know, there could be something that's like copying clipboard contents or something that's spying on my use. But in terms of like something taking over my device and loading it up with ads or taking over my DNS or anything that's actually going to permanently change my OS that would cause me to have to reload, I am not concerned in the least. And in part, it's because of the OS design. But in part, I also think it's knowing in the back of my mind that app review exists and it's doing some of that work up front. And it has created a low risk environment to try apps. And that I think is good for developers because it means people are more likely to tap that install button. And I think consumers perhaps like that a lot more than they would like being able to sideload an app or have an app store in Fortnite. Well, I don't think anybody but but Epic wants an app store in Fortnite. I mean, yeah, <laughs> no kidding. There's no angels here, right? We're, we're very Catholic today, by the way. Just Yeah. 
So, okay. Do we want to dance with the devil here and make a prediction? Oh, yeah, I'm curious to see what you think. I think, and this is based on just an obsessive amount of reading from lawyers on this, Fortnite is up for an epic loss here. Because all Apple is going to do is say, what Monopoly? You ever hear of Android? Yeah. And game over. I agree. That's the thing is, Apple doesn't even have a majority market share. No. And it's, I hate going back to ATP, but like John Syracuse tried to make an argument about, well, Apple has a majority of the people who spend money on their phones, but that's not going to hold up. I mean, come on. Yeah. Yeah. It seems weird to me that a billion dollar company is going so like, like it's one thing when like, you know, Basecamp goes nuts and like starts yelling at Apple, right? Or like a small developer writes a nasty blog post, whatever, whatever. Because, you know, when you're small, sometimes you, you're, you're like a badger, right? You have to be a little vicious or else you'll just get crushed. But Epic's a billion dollar company. Like they must think they have a case. So it's, it seems that there's possibly over 100 million Fortnite players on iOS and perhaps somewhere around 20, 30 million on Android. There's not really super current numbers. In Epic's case, you could you could argue that Apple has a more direct impact over them because they maybe have more users there. But I think you're right. That That's such a nuance there. And the truth is there's more Android devices, and it's the same problem over there, just slightly, slightly less egregious. And then there is, coming back to this, the end user aspect of it. I, 100%, every single time, if I can subscribe to something on my iPhone versus doing it on the web. Every time. Without question, every single time. Every time. It's so much easier to go into my iPhone and just cancel a subscription. I don't have to call anybody. I don't have to go to some website and remember a login. I just, one unified place, I can see all my subscriptions. And I, I do this for things like streaming. When I don't need to stream a, like a CBS All Access when they're not running Star Trek, I just pause it. <laughs> As you should. That's why they're creating so many Star Treks. But my point is there is a user experience aspect to what Apple enforces that I think they could argue is more valuable. Uh, I think to us, it's not. And that's, you know, ironically why we should be Android users. Because <laughs> you can already sideload on Android, right? I mean, this this really is a non-issue. Although Epic did try to do that for a while, right? They tried for 15 months. Yeah, and it didn't, it didn't work because that's crazy, right? I mean, yeah. And, and by the way, we shouldn't be Android users because we have done years of episodes on Android's failure on tablets. So That's true. It's true. I uh, I have a Fire tablet, and it is uh, so bad. I'm pretty sure I ordered the ad-free one, and it still shows ads on the lock screen. Is it fi- Fire is the Amazon, like, don't call me a Kindle, right? Yeah. I, I They're just so cheap. There's sometimes you can get them, I'm not kidding you, for 60 bucks. Oh, it's like a uh, Google Home. <laughs> and I, yeah, they actually will also act as Echoes. Uh, but what I do is I wall mount them and I use them to interface with my home automation system. <laughs> so they're they're consoles with just screens up all the time, but and they work for that. They're single purpose tablets. Yeah, well, for sixty bucks and they last. I mean, I've got it, I've had it going now for well over a year. They just they're great. Yeah, I just have the screen scheduled on and off, and oh my lord, it, it rocks. It's pretty high tech. So, what's your prediction? Is it is it a straight defeat as as I'm thinking, or what do you, what do you think? I mean, Epic has really put themselves out here as fighting the people's fight to uh, take down Apple's restrictive practices. It's a pretty big walk back. The people's fight to get more money from iOS users and have the Epic Games App Store on iPad. I know. I know. You're right. You're right. You're right. No, I, but, but I, I, I would prefer they win. I'm, I'm being a little snarky, but I would prefer they win. I just, I don't know. I would too. I would prefer they win as well here. Um, even though I don't, as you say, I don't think there's any heroes or any angels in this particular fight. Um, 
but Epic is just the right size where they're not so big like a Facebook or an Amazon where Apple is just going to automatically do a deal. But they're not so small that they can't afford this fight. So they're kind of the perfect fighter for this. And they've obviously got their game. And like I was saying before, it's one of those issues, Fortnite, that reaches the people. It goes beyond the church of tech. And I think that combined makes them a very unique fighter. I'm going to say their developer account gets reinstated for the next, uh, I was going to say the next coder, but that's probably too soon. I think that's too soon. Well, Apple has already offered to forgive them if they just put the old version back in. All right. I'll take a risky bet. I'm going to say by next episode, they've, uh, they've come to a resolution on that. So on just the developer account aspect, uh, I may wait till that episode to make my prediction on what happens. The only reason I think you could be right there is because, you know, I am not a Fortnite player. Neither am I. Uh, yeah. But in reading up on this, I've had to, like, learn what the hell Fortnite is. <laughs> and apparently they have some deal with Marvel, and it just came out. Oh, yeah? Cool. So there's got to be a lot of kids who, like, want to play on their iPad. With, like, I know they have a new season release they're doing, and it's not available on iOS. I don't know. Maybe everybody's home because of COVID, so that maybe they're on, like, Xbox. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, this is the weirdest situation where don't you kind of just want to send them to marriage counseling? Yeah, you really feel like this should be like two reasonable businesses that both want to serve customers and make money should be able to work this out. Well, even like even like just Apple, right? Like it's an Apple to therapy. And be like, listen, <laughs> Apple, we understand that you want this thing. You would like to get 30% of everything that touches the iPhone, but but you can't have that. So is there some accommodation we could reach here to like make you happy and have you not, you know? act like Kronos eating all the this got weird but you know what I mean <laughs> yeah I do know what you mean you look at it iOS has been around what 10 11 years now and you could see it maybe being justifiable for the first few years but it would have sort of been like uh, when the web came to the Mac and Apple would have tried to to try to take a cut of every transaction on the web it's just at a certain point the scale is too ridiculous the platforms become too common oh my god you're right I mean, I, I'm right. They're going to, Epic's going to get killed. Apple had this fight once before with Adobe Flash and they crushed them. Yeah. Right out the gate. They destroyed the entire Flash market. And they were a lot weaker back then as a company too. Yeah. And, and Adobe was an important partner. They, in reality, they could go a lot harder at Epic than they can at Adobe, right? It doesn't seem like Apple has them because Epic agreed to the terms of service. So they're violating a contract they agreed to. If the contract's legal, right? That's Epic's whole yeah. argument that it's not legal. Yes. But, right, yeah. right. But Apple, I think it's a pretty good case. It's our storefront, and it's not even the biggest one. I mean, that's a good, that's a good, I don't know, we'll see. What a hell of a fight. And it. what it really is about, though, I think, again, like I started with, is about the freedom of what you can do with these devices. And this is just the beginning of that question. Oh, yeah, absolutely. This is like the first big part of that conversation. Then once this gets settled, the next question becomes, well, what about users? Because right now this is about, well, I'm a company and I want to make more money to my and I have and I want to have a direct relationship with my customers that use these general computing devices. That's essentially an abstract version of what Epic's argument is. But what about the end users? When does that conversation happen? And what precipitates that conversation? I don't know if we'll have one or if we'll we'll see. Mr. Dominic, uh, you know, before we go, uh, I was uh, chatting with the team, and I think the way this episode will these episodes will land will be Wednesday evenings Ooh. at Coder.show. Wednesday probably being you know generally the pacific time or somewhere in there but uh so go subscribe just so you get it automatically when it comes out at coder.show slash subscribe 
and then you just get it when we release it. Oh, or you can tune in live. We're back doing these shows live on Mondays at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern over at jblive.tv. So if you want a quick fix, just get the live version right over there. Then we will have, when the main show releases for our members, we'll have the ad-free version. And again, you can sign up for our new membership program that's launching literally right after I get off the air and go set it all up. <laughs> it's going to be one of those. So go over there and sign up. It's uh, it's uh, coderqa.co, coderqa.co. And if you use the promo code JARJAR, it'll be a $6 indefinite membership for the first 200 That's a pretty good deal right there. And it really it means a lot to us. We're excited to do this show and as both of us being small businessmen, we know we got to do it in a way that is sustainable and also in a way that justifies it being on the calendar every week. You know, for the first few weeks, of course, of course, it's super exciting. But what about a year? What about two years from now? How do we continue to justify it to ourselves? And we think even if there's not a sponsorship, that membership will help us do it. Thank you very much, CoderQA.co. Mr. Dominic, uh, give us a plug for the Twitter feed or somewhere for people to get a hold of you. Yeah, go to at Dumanuko on Twitter. I am finishing up a project and you can watch me cry because goddamn that last 10%. <laughs> yeah, right? I know. Isn't it always the way it is? I feel you. It's always the way it is. Yeah. Plus, like right now, I've got like a dozen projects going just to get the business back up. Oh, it must be crazy for you. Yeah. I am very fortunate. I was able to sneak out and I, I spent a night in the woods last night and then I drove into the studio so I could do the show. Uh, and that I find to be recharging. There's things that keep cropping up too, just because, you know, when you're a business, there's things you never expected you'd have to deal with to actually operate the business. Mm-hmm. So the one that uh, was solved last week is the furnace in the studio is really, really old. It's like 20 years old, right? It's it it, it it's really needed to be replaced. Oh. And the venting that goes from the water heater to the furnace that runs in the garage collapsed when we had a new roof installed over the summer. Well, the server for JB is out in that space, and all of a sudden the garage started getting really, really moist because the water heater was venting directly into the garage, the server garage. Oh, no. (laughs) So I'm like, why is it so moist? My server's going to have mildew. What's going on here? And then we started looking around and realized that the venting had collapsed. So so we had the roof fixed, which made the venting collapse. And so then we have now we've had the furnace replaced and new venting put in. And so now the the server garage is not (laughs) mildewing. That's what it's like to run a small business right there in a nutshell. And that was just one of the many projects. That sounds right. Well, thanks so much for tuning this week's episode of the Coder Radio program. Links to what we talked about today at coder.show slash 377. That contact page is coder.show slash contact. And that membership, coderqa.co. That's everything we have for this episode. Expect these shows to come out every single Wednesday and the live show Mondays at jblive.tv. Thanks so much for listening. See you next week. 